When he smiled, the girls went wild with oohs and ahs. And they slapped his face on every vase, on every vase. From appearance fees and royalties, our herc had cash to burn. Now the new glory famous. He could tell you what the Christian are. Who put the gladding gladiator? Hercules. Welcome to Sup Media Reviews, the podcast that never needs spoiler alerts because it takes you back in time to relive the nostalgia of classic TV shows and films that you've probably already seen. I'm your host, Kiara, and each week I'll dive into the archives to bring you my take on movies and TV shows from at least 20 years ago. From cult classics to forgotten gems, I'll review them all and give my honest opinion on their impact and whether or not they still hold up today. Join me as we revisit the iconic characters, memorable moments, and timeless themes that made these shows and films so special. So take a break from adulting and get ready for a trip down memory lane with Sup Media Reviews. What's up, Home Slices? Thanks so much for tuning in to Sub Media Reviews. I'm Kier, and I'm stoked to review the fantastic 1997 Disney film Hercules. The movie features Tate Donovan as the voice of Hercules, Susan Egan as Meg, Danny DeVito as Phil, and James Woods as Hades. This was the first Disney movie that I saw that had characters who look like me and exhibited Black gospel culture in a mainstream movie. So this movie is, is everything to me, okay? Came out when I was about six or seven years old, so it's just one of those things that I was part of the target audience. I loved it. And uh, for me, it's a classic. As always, here are some fun facts about the movie. Now, while the movie is about Greek myths, Hercules is actually the protagonist's Roman name. Heracles is his Greek name, which just ha- doesn't have the same ring to it, okay? But I really like Greek and Roman mythology, but not enough to know like all of the stories and the histories and the characters, etc. Like for instance, Percy Jackson is one of my favorite movies to rewatch like twice a year. Um, so I'm like Percy Jackson level you know, (laughs) into Greek and Roman mythology. But the stories from that time are out of this world. The characters are deeply flawed. They're promiscuous. They have crazy powers. It's kind of like a low-key OG soap opera or maybe even anime. Okay, so um, really into that type of stuff. The second fun fact is that Danny DeVito actually declined to audition for Phil and so did Edward Asner, Ernest Borgnine, Bob Hoskins, Joe Pesci, Morton Scorsese, John Rise Davis, Ray Winstone, Robert De Niro, Peter O'Toole, Jerry Stiller, John Cusack, Mel Brooks, Bill Murray, Steve Martin, Dan Aykroyd, Chevy Chase, Jason Alexander, Al Pacino, and Dick LaTessa. They were brought in to read for the part and they didn't get it. So um, after Red Buttons had auditioned, he left stating, I know what you're going to do. You're going to give this part to Danny DeVito. And shortly after, the directors and producer Alice Dewey Goldstone approached DeVito at a pasta lunch during the filming of Matilda, which came out in 1996, where DeVito signed on to do the role. So they went through the gamut of (laughs) different male actors to try to get the voice. And Danny DeVito was obviously like the right person. 
The third fun fact is that Hades was scripted as a slow menacing character until James Woods took the role and impressed the crew with his rapid fire style. Even after the script was written, Woods ad-libbed many lines. Now the role of Hades is one of James Woods all time favorite characters. So much so anytime Disney needs him to reprise the character for a cartoon or a video game such as Hercules in 1998 or Kingdom Hearts, he's agreed to do so. So when this film was about to go over budget, he even offered to refund his salary and finish the film for free. Disney decided against this and finished the film anyway. So the film's interpretation of the character of Hades is said to be based on Jeffrey Katzenberg, the former chairman of the Walt Disney Studios who left the Walt Disney Company on bad terms to form DreamWorks Pictures. So there's a little bit of drama going on in the background, which is kind of iconic. But anyways, <laughs> and the final fun fact in Greek mythology, there were actually nine muses. The five that are shown in Hercules are Calliope, um, who is like the muse of epic poetry. Cleo, I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly, who is um, the muse of history. Melpomene, who's the muse of tragedy. Terpsichore, <laughs> it's a crazy name, um, who's the muse of dance. And then Talia, who's the muse of comedy. Um this was a very interesting fun fact. The Spice Girls were originally approached to portray the muses following an invitation to sing one of the songs, but they declined the offer due to scheduling conflicts. Can you imagine how different this movie would be if the Spice Girls were the muses? We love the Spice Girls, but they cannot sing Zero to Hero the way it was sung. <laughs> in this movie okay but if you want to check out hercules you can watch it on disney plus as of the recording of this episode so this is the point in the review where we start to talk about what the personal connection is to the film now i did not wear halloween costumes very often as a child my mom was religious not not uber religious we went to church every sunday and wednesday but she was not like super super strict religious but just religious enough to maybe only allow us to go trick-or-treating a couple times in our lives so <laughs> the one time that i really do remember dressing up for halloween i dressed up as megara so that was fun but as i mentioned earlier um this was the first animated mainstream movie a Disney movie maybe even animated movie that I saw that featured black women doing black things singing and telling stories in fantastic gospel style now the co-writer and co-director John Musker wanted the gospel style for the muses because of the storytelling lens its ability to energize and to add a bit of a modern twist to an old Greek tale I feel like this man deserves an award okay to me, it is an odd choice and it does not necessarily fit the telling of an old Greek tale, but it's also so perfect at the same time. You have five distinct muses. They are body diverse. They have different personalities and they can sing their behinds off. They can sing individually as well as together. Now, here are the ladies who voice the muses. Lilius White voices Calliope. Shell Freeman voices Melpomene. Lashans voices Terpsichore. Roz Ryan voices Talia. And I'm probably going to mispronounce this name. So sorry. Venice or Vanice Thomas voices Cleo. Now, all of these women are super accomplished in their own right, with most of them having really long careers in Broadway. But I do want to point out that Roz Ryan is known for her role in the TV show Amen, 
And you might also recognize her from the I don't want nobody effing with me in these streets video that went viral that features Brandy and Jennifer Lewis. Um, Roz is the only one whose work outside of this movie, uh, as far as the muses go, that I'm familiar with. But um, I do want to point out that this movie allows Black women to remain humans for the entirety of the movie. And I will leave that alone. Okay. They were also pretty much like statues and paintings. So maybe that's only half true, but they were not depicted as animals, um, a la Princess and the Frog or that little spy movie where Will Smith was a pigeon or that little other movie where Will Smith was a fish or that other movie where Jamie Foxx was a cat for most of the movies. So <laughs> I'll leave it there. Okay, so besides what I just mentioned, this movie came out around first and second grade for me and it's just so impactful to me. The story is pretty good. It has elements of romance, epic adventures, training sequences, a side story about a retired hero trainer reclaiming victory, a son being reunited with his family, and it's all set to a fantastic soundtrack. It's funny, it's sad, it has twists. I mean, to be honest, like what's not to love? Also, it's Disney, okay? Like they had us in a chokehold in the 90s, okay? <laughs> but I'm really excited to share my perspective on this movie. So let's chat. So we open up the movie with a man kind of somberly narrating a Greek tale when he gets interrupted by a group of five black muses who are paintings on a vase. Um, these muses introduce themselves as the goddesses of the arts and proclaimers of heroes like Hercules, And they begin to weave the exposition for us in the form of a gospel theme song called Gospel Truth. Long story short, in Greek mythology in the early days of Earth, uh, Zeus locked away four treacherous titans, each one representing a different element because they were running amok. Okay. Um, the muses are singing in the background as the scene switches to Olympus, where the gods have gathered to celebrate the arrival of a new, very strong and weirdly shaped baby Hercules. Okay. Um, <laughs> The gods bring tons of gifts, but my favorite is Pegasus. Um, he's a flying horse that Zeus, who is voiced by Rip Torn, fashions out of clouds. Now, when I was listening to this movie, I had to look up who Rip Torn was and I, I figured out who he was. But for whatever reason, I felt like Zeus sounded like John Goodman. Um, am I tripping? Let me know. Um, anyways, um, so baby Hercules sees Pegasus. He headbutts Peg Pegasus. It's kind of cute. They're both babies or whatever. And they bond right away. But then suddenly Hades, this blue drab god with like blue fire for hair and like this gray moo moo, you know, comes in and he kind of tarnishes the mood. He's a real mood killer. Okay. Zeus is all happy and bubbly. Hades is all moody and dark. They are brothers and it's obvious that Hades only showed up out of obligation. Okay. Mm, my nephew, whatever. So <laughs> Hades offers the baby this hellish spiky sucker and Hercules, sque <laughs> Hercules squeezes the crap out of Hades' finger. And then Hades says, I am a head out because he has to go back to his job as the keeper of the dead, um, a job that Zeus gave him. So Zeus kind of makes this joke at Hades expense. And it's clear that Hades hates his job. He hates his brother. And he wants something better and more glamorous than the life that he has as the Lord of the dead. So then we flip back to the muses to resume the second part of gospel truth. Now from the song, we learned that Hades ran the underworld. He ran the underworld. <laughs> But he thought he was too good to be fooling around with the dead. And he was ruthlessly planning something to change up his state in life. So we see him in the underworld, which is depicted as this kind of large cavernous area that uh, where the water is like um, a liquid, a greenish liquid that's flowing with human souls. I call it soul soup. 
But at the center of the underworld, the main hub is kind of almost like an upside down Olympus. It's not structure for structure, but it's supposed to show the, the stark distinction between what it's like on a bright and happy Olympus versus the dark and damp and you know sad underworld um but it's upside down it's drab it's menacing and so when Hades gets home he calls two of his goonies uh pain and panic they are these weird little devilish creatures called imps um pain is like a chunky pink guy while panic is like a thin and blue guy um quick side note pain is voiced by Bob Goldwaith who has an amazing and distinctive voice his voice is so distinctive um it's the voice that I imagine my dog would have if he could talk <laughs> Anyways, Pain and Panic are these like clumsy and bumbling little fools that have the ability to transform into other creatures like the worms they become when they tell a very angry Hades that his special guests have already arrived. So Hades goes up to his office, I guess. And these special guests are actually three old and haggard ladies called the Fates who all share a single eye. Now with this eye, they're able to see the past, present and future. And in this movie, they are also responsible for cutting someone's thread of life, sending their spirit to the underworld. So in this meeting, Hades is asking if the birth of Hercules is going to prevent his hostile takeover. And um, after a little bit of butt kissing, the Fates give Hades the lowdown on what's going to happen in the future in verse form but long story short in 18 years the planners are going to align allowing Hades to unleash the titans who will defeat Zeus making Hades the supreme ruler but right before the fates exit stage left they give him a word of caution that if Hercules fights on that day when the planets align in 18 years Hades is going to fail Hades is pissed off and one thing I didn't really remember from my childhood was how they used the fire on Hades head and his body to display his mood. So when he's upset, the fire turns red um, and it spreads over more of his body. And you can just see the flames of his anger boiling up. He's a very angry person. And it really adds a lot to his character and is like a, a visual display of his anger and um, how mercurial his mood is. Um, as well as just him being sarcastic and awful in general. So <laughs> um, to end this scene, we see that Hades wants to kill Hercules, but because he's a god, his first step is to make the baby mortal um, using pain and panic to give, you know, Hercules a potion that will turn him mortal. So next up, we're back in Atlantis at nighttime. Everyone is asleep and Zeus and Hera hear some commotion and awake to find that little Hercules has been kidnapped. Pain and panic fly Hercules down to earth. Um, they have wings. Uh, while Zeus causes a lightning storm with his anger, pain and panic give the baby the potion from the bottle. And as he drinks, Hercules starts to lose his godly glow. So while he's drinking, pain and panic are literally talking about murdering this baby. This part I don't remember so much, but killing a baby is crazy. <laughs> killing a baby in a Disney movie is crazy. That's crazy, y'all. Like, they're like, oh, we can't kill him until he drinks every drop. And I was like, I did not remember them trying to murder this baby for real. But anyways, an older couple named Amphitryon and Al Mickney, wait, Al Alchemini. There we go. I'm sorry. <laughs> Couldn't understand my own pronunciation key. This couple finds him. They startle Pain and Panic, who dropped the bottle. Um, it's a glass bottle that has the potion in it, revealing that Hercules did not drink the final drop of the potion. Lucky for him. So when the barren couple pick up this baby, the imps transform into snakes to try to kill Hercules, but he's too strong. He ties them up in a bow and throws them far away. The couple sees that they have come across this really special baby who can just manhandle snakes and whatever. And uh, Pain and Panic decide to lie to Hades 
ladies about being successful and killing a baby. Y'all, killing a baby. (laughs) I, I didn't. I didn't remember that detail. I don't know. So now the muses resumed the third part of gospel truth to let us know that Zeus sent a search party, but when they found little Hercules, he was mortal and he could not come home to Olympus. So the older couple raised the baby and he kept his godlike strength and Herc's real parents watched him from afar and he grew stronger every day. It's literally, basically literally the lyrics to the song. <laughs> but <laughs> in the new scene, we see teen Herc. Okay, Hercules is carrying Amphitryon, his earthly dad, and they're injured donkey Penelope to the local market to sell a bunch of hay. So to expedite this scene, Hercules is in his late teens. He's likely 17, 16 years old, has developed a reputation for being strong, but not coordinated. Um, The way they even drew him even indicates how clumsy he is. He has big ears, big feet, kind of a little lanky in the middle, but just just awkward, right? So other people who are in the marketplace know that Herc is an accident waiting to happen. And the only thing worse than being clumsy and accident prone is doing it with super strength. Like even the local boys don't want to hang out with him and they call him Jercules. But essentially he ends up destroying the whole market unintentionally. People almost get hurt. The whole little marketplace or town is pissed off. They even call little Herc a freak. And while Amphitryon, uh, you know, Hercules' dad, is supportive, Herc just feels like, I don't belong here. Like, I don't belong on this earth, okay? But little Herc starts to sing, go the distance. Ah, I can go the distance. Um, (laughs) um, In the song, he talks about doing whatever it takes to find a place where he belongs. Mid-song, his parents tell him the truth, that he was low-key adopted, and that they found him with a gold crest with the symbol of the gods around his neck. And Herc is like, the gods must have the answer. So he heads off the next morning to find where he belongs. He says bye to his earthly parents and he embarks on a long trek to the temple of Zeus where he continues to sing, go the distance. It's a really good song. It is. It's probably, well one of the better songs that is not sung by the muses, I guess, but we'll see. Um, He makes it to the temple. Herc prays to the statue of Zeus. We're um, asking where he belongs. The huge statue kind of animates after a shock from a lightning bolt with a booming voice and scoops up a very scared Hercules to reveal his godly origins. Um, Zeus sounds like a proud father, happy to be reunited with his son. And Herc is taking in the news about why he didn't grow up with his birth family. So, we find out that if Herc can be a true hero on earth, his godhood will be restored. But first he has to find Philoctetes, a trainer of heroes. So Zeus calls Pegasus to reunite with Herc. And he seems to uh, remember him and they do the little headbutt thingy that they did uh, before. And they kind of pick up where they left off after all of those years. It's literally been like 16 years and he was like a fresh newborn. So um, I guess they remember each other. <laughs> cool but um anyways i want to point out that anytime in the movie where herc sees like a shooting star in the sky or where we see a shooting star in the sky it's actually supposed to be pegasus watching over hercules so it's not super important but i did find that out in my research 
So Pegasus is described as a magnificent horse with the brain of a bird. It's supposed to be an insult, a little funny, but they head off into the sky singing, go the distance, but now it's upbeat and hopeful. I didn't realize how the songs kind of all carry through the story and they change. So like gospel truth was broken into almost like four parts. Uh, the first part was talking about like history and exposition. There's another part where they sing about the underworld and it's, it's drab and the woman with the deepest voice Roz is singing it and then um there's another sad part about Hercules never being able to come home um but then go the distance there's three distinct times where he's singing it there's he starts off with like this longing of like I don't know where I belong and then his parents tell him where he actually came from and then he has like a, a little bit of hopefulness in the middle and then after he hears from Zeus about like what's really going on in his life and what he has to do next he ends the song on this super hopeful note like I'm going to do this I'm going to be returned to restore to my godhood and get back with my family. So um, it's interesting how these songs actually um, carry through and transform between the action of the story. Um, it's actually pretty cool. But um, now it's time for us to meet Phil, okay? Pegasus and Herc arrive to this random island. It's kind of desolate. There's a lot of goats running around and they end up finding Phil, who is a satyr who is a half goat and half human, who's being a little warrior with some nymphs. Um, he's disenchanted. He's a retired hero trainer and he refuses to train Hercules. Phil takes Hercules on a tour of his little house and it's full of ancient Greek artifacts. But the point of the tour is for Phil to show Hercules that he has trained Odysseus, Perseus, Theseus, Jason, but none of them could go the distance. Not even Achilles, whose heel was his downfall. But Phil's dream was to train a hero so great that the gods would put him in the star. And Phil just has given up on that. So Herc starts doing these little tasks, you know, show and tell to prove that he can go the distance and that he hopes to rejoin his father Zeus in the sky if he can become a true hero. So Phil starts to kind of mock Herc for claiming to be the son of Zeus, um, kind of does it in song form a little bit or gets ready to sing and he gets struck by lightning. So um, that gets the picture across. <laughs> So now he believes that Hercules is the son of Zeus and maybe there is a little bit of hope for Hercules after all. So we begin a training montage set to a song that Phil is singing called One Last Hope. This is the least memorable song in the movie for me. I actually forgot Danny DeVito sang a song in this movie. But the song is going on. We see Herc is very clumsy. He's unskilled. He's still young and thin. He comes across as this lanky, awkward teen who just really doesn't understand his own strength. So um, Phil is going over the rules and training tactics like how to rescue a damsel and the song takes us through time because we even see the seasons change and eventually Herc bulks up he gets really good at the training activities and finally he's grown up he's swole he's eager to be a hero so Phil is like I'm gonna take you to Thebes they got tons of problems it'll be easy for you to be a hero there <laughs> But on their way to Thebes, they hear a scream from a DID, which stands for Damsel in Distress. And it is Megara being manhandled by a big blue ugly centaur named Nessus that kind of has the face of CeeLo Green at the Grammys when he was wearing that gold suit. But Phil tries to give Herc pointers on how to address this situation. Um, but he's so eager to jump in and save Meg that he doesn't really analyze the situation. Meg is like, you need to get lost. I can handle this situation. Um, even though she admits to being a damsel in distress and is clearly struggling because this centaur is freaking huge. He's probably like four or five times the size of a human and he's huge and ugly. Oh. <laughs> when Herc attempts to mansplain why she needs his help anyway, the centaur rocks his jaw, throws him off his center and causes him to lose his sword. Now, mind you, 
again, the centaur is like four times the size of Herc. Herc didn't, he didn't analyze the situation for real, for real. But after a tip from Phil, Herc headbutts Nessus. They fight. Phil flirts with Meg unsuccessfully. And the centaur is finally defeated in kind of like a Looney Tunes fashion, okay? Um, Phil starts to berate the young hero for not focusing and being more alert. But Herc is not listening because Meg is drying off and he is enamored, okay? So now both Phil and Pegasus are mad that a woman is in the picture to distract Herc. Yeah, that's how it goes. Your friend gets a girlfriend and he forgets you. So <laughs> um, uh, they are right to be worried, okay? So Herc and Meg kind of start flirting a little bit. At the interest of time, Meg comes across as this very worldly, flirtatious, and mature woman, while Herc is a sheltered, strong guy who does not have a lot of experience with women, let alone with people. Because remember, he was an outcast in his town. People didn't really want to be friends with him. He doesn't have a lot of social skills. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if Meg was actually a couple of years older than Hercules, maybe 19 or 20. Um, but Meg calls Herc Wonderboy. That's his kind of nickname throughout the movie for her and Phil and Pegasus are trying to get his attention like stop focusing on this girl so much we got a, a, a town to save like get, get back on track but Herc really is captivated by her now I will point out that Meg claims that the centaur was harassing her because quote you know how men are they think that no means yes and get lost means take me I'm yours um Hercules and Pegasus don't understand what she's talking about, but she's talking about consent, which is very interesting, very quick, brief, interesting topic um, <laughs> that was put into this movie in 1997. Very interesting, a little bit adult, okay? But a Pegasus does not like Meg. She is a distraction, um, but she leaves and Herc has a semi and they go separate ways. <laughs> But then as Meg kind of slinks away into the quickly changing landscape where she goes into this really creepy forest, she comes across pain and panic and Hades. So we find out that Meg's job was actually to convince Nessus, the centaur river guardian, to join Hades for the uprising that he's been planning since Hercules' birth. He's literally still working out his plans. It's been 17, 18 years. Still working on his plan. I guess that makes sense because if he informs allies too soon about what he's trying to do, um, it'll increase the chance that they'll go and snitch to Zeus or something. I don't know. But he's been working on this plan for a long time. He don't even got all his allies together. He don't got much time left, okay? She failed obviously, because she didn't get to finish having her conversation with the centaur. So Haiti says he's going to add two years to her sentence. We don't know what that's about, but the big surprise is that Meg says that it was Hercules that caused her to fail. Now, pain and panic are getting an angry tongue lashing for lying about killing a baby. Hades is so mad he basically destroys this whole creepy forest. <laughs> Hades is like, okay, pain and panic did turn him mortal even though they didn't kill him like they said they would we got to move on to plan b because we ain't got much time to be fooling around and fool line okay herc is in the big city of thebes now y'all uh thebes is kind of new york city-ish we see a man selling sundials we see another man who i'm supposing is supposed to be a mentally ill individual preaching about the end of the world um <laughs> But he goes into culture shock. Hercules has never seen a big city like this. He meets like unique citizens who are really upset about all of the tragedies that have befallen the town. There's earthquakes, floods, fires, the crime rate, etc. So Herc introduces himself as a hero and the townsfolk kind of laugh at him because he does not have any town saving experience. Okay. All of his experience is in these training exercises that Phil has put him through. No real 
the experience besides saving one damsel in distress, I guess. Phil ends up getting into a fight because someone taunts him about Achilles. Phil is a real hothead. I'm, just now, I'm thinking about how angry the men are in, <laughs> in this movie, but whatever. <laughs> but suddenly, Meg comes in worried because two kids are trapped in a rock slide. And Herc is really excited about that because it's the perfect opportunity for Herc to prove himself, okay? Herc and Meg hop aboard Pegasus, who is all too happy to fly crazy because of Meg's fear of heights. But Phil, who is chunky and older, gets left behind and has to travel to the site on foot. This is only a little bit important because whatever challenge Herc is going to face initially, he'll have to do it without Phil's guidance. So next up is rock slide time. Hercules arrives to hear the calls of the two children from under a large rock. One of them says, call IXII, which is the Roman numerals for 911. It's freaking hilarious. It's it's a joke for the adults who are watching with their children. Very funny. But the townsfolk arrive shortly afterward to see Herc lifting a huge boulder from in front of a cave. And I did not put this together as a child, but... I didn't realize that the rock he removed actually was blocking something, which makes a lot sense in the coming scene. But um, anyways, the kids say thank you. They leave. And um, when they are out of sight, they actually transform into pain and panic. And they meet up with Hades and Meg, who are eagerly awaiting a show with snacks and everything. OK, like Hades is ready to see Herc be destroyed. OK. So Meg, of course, was also a part of this ruse, but you can see that she has a little bit of remorse for her involvement and is actually impressed with Hercules' strength. So Phil finally catches up with Hercules, who's really happy with himself. He did his first heroic act. The townspeople came to watch this happen, so they all saw it and they can start embracing him as a hero. But they soon realize that the large stone that he removed was blocking in a large, scary creature, which... We later find out it's a hydra, a fictional creature that once its head is cut off, multiple heads reappear. In this particular movie, uh, for every one head that's cut off, three more appear. The crowd of townsfolk and Hades are watching this epic battle as Herc is literally doing his on-the-job training as a hero. Herc gets eaten by the hydra and removes the head from inside its neck or throat and there's a brief intermission where they think things are over with that he saved the town but then three more heads appear where the one head used to be and it's go time um herc calls in Pe pegasus to help and he's flying in the sky and he just keeps cutting heads off left and right and we just see more heads appearing because that's what this type of creature does and the animation on the hydra goes above and beyond the rest of the animation in this movie this movie is kind of like purposely crudely drawn a little bit and in certain moments we see um an enhanced quality of animation the hydra part is one of those times it's actually like really really good animation by this time in the story, there are like 30 heads on the Hydra and Herc is pinned against a cliff by the Hydra's um, claw. And so he sees some lightning in the sky, which I never really noticed before, but I think it's supposed to be his father encouraging him. And he gets the bright idea to cause a rock slide, killing the Hydra and kind of burying himself in the rock slide as well. It's really interesting that the thing that brought him to this area, a rock slide involving children, is actually the thing that saved him. Hmm. 
curious. Uh, <laughs> but anyways, Hades is rejoicing because he thinks that Hercules was also killed in the rock slide. But Hercules actually emerges from the Hydra's hands. People low-key thought that once the hand started moving that the Hydra was coming back to life. But it was just Hercules breaking himself out of the grip of the Hydra. Hades is fuming. He's torturing pain and panic because if they had taken care of this years ago, he wouldn't have to do all this. But the townsfolk are praising their new hero and Phil is a proud trainer. I don't know that Phil trained him to uh, <laughs> kill a Hydra, but Herc did a decent job for it to be his first Hydra, okay? So now the muses are back to provide musical exposition during the montage of Herc's rise to fame. They sing Zero to Hero and it is amazing. It is so good, y'all. During the montage, he's defeating monsters, including a larger than life scar from the Lion King. There's always Easter eggs in Disney movies. We know that. So in this one, we have a very large scar uh, being defeated by Hercules very briefly. Uh, we see that Hercules is getting rich from endorsements. He has a lot of social capital. He's gaining favor with the people. And he's also not a butthole about it, which is nice. But then we get to the very churchy breakdown in the song. Who put the glad and gladiator Hercules? Uh, I freaking love it. Okay. The muses have tambourines. I mean, Herc brought the people who raised them a huge house. <laughs> it was like a huge attachment onto their little house that they used to live in. His, his rise to fame is kind of similar to an NFL or NBA player. He even has his own shoe line called Air Herc's. I, I want to point out that a lot of the kind of references that we see are um, old twist on modern things. Right, like it, it doesn't make sense that some of these things would actually happen back in ancient Greece or whatever, but it's it's taking things that we know about and knew about in the 90s and, and doing the old kind of ancient twist on it. And it's funny, it's hilarious, and the air hooks come back later. But um, I, I want to point out that all of the monsters that are approaching Hercules that he is defeating are actually Hades trying to set Herc up to die. Uh, but it's just not working. So we get to this point where, where Hades is realizing none of this stuff is working. We need to be smarter about what's happening because the planets are almost aligned and Hercules is only getting bigger, stronger, and more experienced in being a hero. So that's a sermon right there. Okay. When your enemies throw obstacles in your way, hoping that you'll be destroyed, it really is only a training exercise to prepare you for your next obstacle and your victory. Okay. But Hades gets extra mad when he sees that pain is wearing a pair of air hercs. And this, my friend, is the scene that I believe is the first ever recorded. What are those when referring to shoes <laughs> Hades literally asked him what are those um you may remember that trend from social media but seeing it in this movie is just hilarious to me this movie is from 1997 and somebody literally saying what are those to some shoes is funny but um Hades is freaking out because he literally only has 24 hours to get rid of Hercules before the planets align and he has to start his plan like the planets don't align every so often like you know once the train is rolling it can't be stopped so Payne is sipping a Hercules themed drink it's really funny that Payne and Panic really don't have much loyalty to Hades besides the fact that they kind of fear him um and that they can be useful to him. Um, suddenly, Hades starts to get some inspiration and decides to use Meg as a pawn to get rid of Hercules. So when Meg is like, get your little imps to do it, Hades quickly 
says they couldn't handle him as a baby that I paused it and laughed so hard because it's very true Hades is like I need someone who can handle him as a man and he knows Meg can handle herself okay so Hades is barking up the right tree love and or lust will make people do crazy things such as the story that kind of explains why Meg is involved with Hades in the first place uh we find out that Meg is hanging with Hades because she sold her soul to him to save her boyfriend and he in turn ended up running off with another woman men are dogs even in Disneyland so <laughs> um Hades offers Meg a deal that she really cannot refuse it's interesting how close this is to the tale of Samson and Delilah but if Meg brings Hades the key to Hercules weakness Meg is going to get her freedom so now we're back at the temple of Zeus. Hercules is there with Pegasus telling his statue dad about all his heroics. And he's upset because Zeus is like, uh, you're not ready to join us on Olympus because you're a hero, but you're not quite a true hero. His father tells him that the key to being a true hero is something that he has to figure out for himself and that no amount of fame is the same as being a true hero. Look inside your heart, Hercules. And Hercules is mad. He's kind of discouraged. He's like, I spent months defeating monsters and you know why and you know I have all of this fame I have all this notoriety why am I not ready to be on Olympus he's very upset by that later on we see Herc's villa a huge sprawling mansion and area Hercules is in there where an artist is painting him on a vase while he wears a pelt made out of scar which again was one of the monsters he defeated earlier but Herc is really down on himself and Phil actually encourages him and says that Herc can do anything what I will say is that Hercules actually has multiple positive maybe not always positive Herc has multiple male figures that either a mostly attempt to be positive influences in his life which is actually very sweet he has Phil he has his earthly dad Amphitryon he also has Zeus so um it's nice to see that he has like a lot of male influences that's kind of neat and I never really kind of noticed that before after some some you know hormone raging teens try to break in and attack uh <laughs> not attack negatively but kind of like fawn over Hercules um Phil distracts them and Meg actually makes herself known in Herc's villa and they start talking. He's still very smitten by her. He says that he's missed her. And even though Hercules' schedule is packed, he decides to play hooky with Meg instead. So she's using her feminine wiles to try to learn what his weakness is. They're, by this time, it's nighttime. They've been hanging out for hours. They went to a restaurant together. It's basically a date. They are, I don't know where they are, in some type of garden or something. And so um, she's asking, mm, you got any weak heels or weak knees or, you know, a box or something? Like, what's going on with you? And he doesn't have any. And Hercules is like, I think you're amazing and you're honest and kind. But Meg starts to feel guilty knowing that she's a liar who has helped employees to actually kill Hercules. <laughs> um, as Hercules is kind of fawning over her. She ends up getting poked by a statue of Cupid and realizes that Hercules' pure heart and idealism and super strength are all really attractive qualities. But Meg just doesn't believe that she deserves to be with something like that. And she says, you know, being alone means no one can hurt you um, because, of course, she was hurt by the man that she sold her soul for. But Meg tries to end things before they start right as they're about to kiss. But then suddenly Phil and Pegasus arrive to show up and stop them. So Phil gives Herc a tongue lashing about, you know, not honoring his commitments and you know running off with some girl um right before whisking him away and Herc gives her a kiss on the cheek and they leave 
Next up, after Herc leaves, Meg begins to sing, I won't say I'm in love, with the music singing in the background. It's really interesting. It's almost like a conversation uh, with Meg kind of ignoring the muses a little bit. Meg is saying, you know, I'm denying that I'm in love with this guy. I'm not supposed to do this anymore. But the muses are like, it's okay, girl, you're in love. Just say it, girl. Like, you know, don't fight it. That type of thing. Um, it's a good song. At least out loud, I won't say I'm in love. Shoot you. <laughs> it's very cute. It's, it's cute. It's playful. We get to see the muses um, outside of the, the kind of environment that we've seen them in before, where they're kind of more in drawings and paintings and that type of thing. Uh, we get to see them out in nature. They are still statues, still inanimate objects, but still human-like. So we'll give Hercules that. Okay. Hades shows up after the song is over and Meg refuses to help him. Now I didn't mention this earlier, but Phil fell off of Pegasus as they were leaving. Um, and so he is in the area to hear Hades talk to Meg about setting Herc up to fail. So Hades realizes that Meg is Herc's weakness. Hades is, is real smart. Um, so he, he's a little behind, but when he gets it, he gets it. Okay. <laughs> so Phil needs to rush to Hercules to tell him the news. Okay. Herc is at the training facility and he's basically on the wings of love. He's like head over heels for Meg. And so Phil comes in and he's trying to break the news. But first, a My Little Pony Lady Pegasus lookalike gets the attention of the male Pegasus and he follows her into a room where he discovers that Pain and Panic have fashioned themselves into the My Little Pony horse and they are there to capture him. So Phil tells Herc, you know, we're back to Phil and Herc that Meg has been playing you. But Herc, of course, does not want to believe Meg is that way. Right. So Phil begins to say she's nothing but a two timing, no good, lying, scheming. And before he can say more, Hercules smacks the crap out of Phil. Now, Phil is more so hurt emotionally than physically. And he decides to leave town, citing Herc as another disappointment who's going to fail due to a weakness that he, you know, is not addressing. So what's interesting is that Hercules and Phil are low key both right about her but when you're in love it's hard to have perspective that two things can be uh right about one person at the same time Herc is very you know to feel like I he's saying like I don't need you so um they're splitting up not amicably so that's not fun but um right when Phil leaves interestingly enough Hades shows up and tries to convince Hercules to take the day off from being a hero on tomorrow so that his evil plan will work because again tomorrow the planets are aligning uh, um so <laughs> when Herc refuses Hades shows him that he's holding Meg as a hostage for leverage now I haven't brought this up before but Hades is really good throughout the movie with this kind of sleight of hand where he makes objects appear and move to kind of tell a story and then they disappear so he kind of dugs this with Meg in this instance and essentially Hades wants Herc to give up his strength for 24 hours Herc is briefly worried that people will get hurt and Hades can't really make any promises but he's mostly concerned about Meg so he agrees to the deal under the condition that Meg is safe so if she gets hurt Herc will get his strength back they shake on it as Herc's strength is gone and he is literally a regular man just like everybody else but then Hades reveals that Meg was working for him all along and pain and panic show up to mock him even more Meg is really upset and ashamed but it's kind of nothing they can do Herc is a regular man now and um he just had his hopes dashed 
by Hades um, and his strength taken. So it's time to unleash the Titans, y'all. The planets are aligned. Hades heads to the ocean. I don't know where this is. <laughs> because when the stars align, the sea is kind of parted to reveal the prison where the Titans are being held. So Hades kind of hypes them up. He's like, Zeus put y'all here. I'm a free y'all. Y'all can exact your revenge on Zeus. Okay. So these Titans are very big. They represent the elements. They are wind, earth, ice, and lava. Now there is a fifth Titan that's a huge Cyclops. And that threw me off. Not really an element. I don't know if he's even really a Titan, but he was down there. I don't know much about Cyclopses in Greek mythology, but I'm curious as to why he was buried down there with the Titans too. I, I don't freaking know. Olympus is on high alert that the Titans are nigh because Hermes finally did his job, but it's almost, you know, too late. Um, so the Olympic gods are going off to war, but the Titans are just too strong, too mighty. But the Cyclops ends up heading to Thebes and calls for Hercules to come out and fight him. So the town is like, we got our hero Hercules. He gonna help us or whatever. But without his strength, Meg warns him that he's gonna be killed. And Hercules like, there are worse things than dying to protect this city. And he's like, you know, I would rather die than to have a, a woman who lied to me and set me up for months. <laughs> Very moody, but I understand where he's coming from. Uh, but now that I think of it, Hercules actually did the same thing Meg did. He sold a part of himself to Hades just to be betrayed. So they are on the same wavelength, okay? They're basically the same person. But without his strength, Hercules has kind of lost his glow. The coloring of him is even dull. But when he faces this chunky and super large Cyclops, he's just getting his butt whooped, okay? That Cyclops is low-key built like me, but <laughs> we're gonna move on from that. <laughs> Meg ends up finding Pegasus. She unties him and convinces him to take her to Phil to talk some sense into Hercules. Now, the Titans are at Olympus. All of the gods have been captured and, um... Meg does an impassioned plea to Phil. She takes Pegasus to Phil to get him to help Hercules. And she, yeah, she's really begging. Back at Olympus, Zeus gets captured and he finds out that Hades is actually behind this attack. So then we flip back to Thebes where the Cyclops is just playing with Hercules like a hacky sack. Phil comes back to encourage Hercules and Herc uses some non-strength related tactics to get rid of the chunky one-eyed villain. It's actually pretty inspired. So Hercules is not just strong, he's also clever, but he shouldn't use his strength as a crutch. He has some intelligence, okay? But um, a pillar starts to fall in kind of the aftermath. And while uh, this is while Hercules back is turned and Meg realizing that Hercules is not you know, big strong Hercules right now. Um, she pushes him out of the way and the pillar ends up falling on her instead. And Herc is like, no. And so he tries to lift the pillar off of her. And then he does so with ease because Hades deal is now broken because he promised that Meg would be safe. And so Herc starts to come for her as she's dying from being crushed. And she confesses her love for him. And uh, I was like, you know, risking your life for me is a quick path to forgiveness okay Meg would totally be forgiven if I was her <laughs> but Meg is like you have to hurry to Olympus so he heads out and he promises uh that Meg that she'll be okay but back at Olympus Hercules unleashes the captured gods including his father and Zeus starts to hurl lightning bolts and the titans immediately retreat now this is something that I didn't really understand why was it so easy why did Olympus Olympus has fallen like why <laughs> 
why did Olympus fall so quickly to the Titans? But then when Hercules comes, unleash the gods and unleashes Zeus, now they turn and run scared. That didn't make a whole bunch of sense to me. I'm, I kind of don't like that little turning point in this story. I understand that they were a little caught off guard when the Titans were unleashed, but to have them return, like to, to turn and run away, I'm, it didn't make make a whole bunch of sense to me. But at the for whatever reason, the Titans start running off scared and whatnot. Hades' plan is really falling apart. Pegasus blows his hair out, which is kind of funny. And Herc uses the Wind Titan to suck up the other Titans and hurl them into outer space where they explode. So Hades heads away saying that he's going to get a consolation prize because Meg is still dying. And so we see the fates, the three you know, haggard ladies that share an eyeball, cut her life string and she dies as Herc races to get her. And even Pegasus is sad. Pegasus, Pegasus never saw it for Meg, but Meg did rescue Pegasus and get, you know, Hercules some help. So, you know, they're, you know, they were good in the end. But Hercules obviously gets mad, but Hades is madder because his plan fell through. He's been working on this plan for 18 years and it fell through. Hercules comes to the underworld where he sees Meg's soul floating in this river of souls that I call soul soup. Okay. So Herc makes a quick deal with Hades that he will trade places with Meg if he can get her out of the soul soup. Hades kind of ruminates. He's like, is there, is there a downside to this <laughs> for me? Uh, but they end up making the deal. And right when Hercules dives in, Hades says that Hercules will probably be dead before he can even get to her soul because uh, she is like slowly sinking into the soul soup and the soul soup ages you exponentially. So he's getting older, weaker, more feeble as he's swimming down to her. So we see the fates, they are ready to pull his string and they prepare to cut it. But then the thread turns gold and it will not cut. It even damages the scissors. So Hercules emerges from the soul soup a glowing god and punches Hades in the face and leaves with Meg's soul. So Hades was not expecting this twist that um, Hercules risking his life for Meg actually made him a true hero and that he would actually return to his godhood. So his godhood was restored. And so Hades tries to curry favor with Herc. But when Hades touches Meg's soul, uh, Herc punches him in the soul punches him into the soul soup where the souls of the dead clamor to take him down and pain and panic basically let him get flushed into the soul soup. So Hercules returns Meg's soul to her body. Um, and I guess her crushed bones and organs have repaired themselves. I'm, what the heck? She is alive and Hercules confesses his love uh, right before they kiss. Do they ever actually kiss in this movie? Their kisses get interrupted multiple times, okay? But they get transported on a cloud to Olympus where Herc sees his mom and dad. Um, I, this cloud transports, transports both Hercules and Meg. If Meg in her mortal form could make it up to Olympus, at least the front gates, right? Why didn't his dad ever bring him to the front gate so they could talk? <laughs> If Meg is immortal, if Meg is a mortal person and she's standing at the front gates, why couldn't Herc have been transported on a cloud to be at the front gates as the son of Zeus? This part doesn't make sense to me either, but whatever. Herc sees his mom for the first time in 18 years. Oh, she's beautiful and sparkly, Hera, of course. We find out, you know, he sees his mama's dad. He learns that a true hero is measured by the strength of his heart. And now Hercules 
whose godhood has been restored can actually live on Olympus. And um, Meg is like, well, he got what he wanted. You know, our relationship is over. And even though that is what Hercules was striving for, Herc wants to stay on earth with Meg because she is where he belongs. <laughs> so they finally kiss. Olympus rejoices and the muses sing, a star is born. And, you know, talking about, you know, how his return to godhood um, is basically making him a true star, right? Um, and speaking of stars, Zeus puts Herc in the clouds, a constellation, and everyone is like, oh, that's Phil's boy. So even Phil gets his dream fulfilled as well. So everybody gets what they want. The song is so upbeat and joyful. The movie ends on a high note, okay? I feel like gospel really is one of the only type of like music forms that can get you in like that joyful kind of mood in the way that this movie ends. It's so good. A Star is Born is my least favorite song by the muses, but it is still very good. Um, but the end credits roll and Michael Bolton sings Go the Distance. Yo, so y'all know like in Disney songs, they have characters sing songs in the movie, but then they have celebrities like sing a different, uh, the same song, but for like the soundtrack so michael bolton sings go the distance and he sounds so good y'all michael bolton has a very unique voice um and it's it's great i may actually add that to my playlist it's so good um but yeah for for like mulan christina aguilera sang like the song reflections you know whatever whatever so michael bolton does a fantastic job y'all that's the end of the movie y'all um, and at the end of every movie or show, we ask if it holds up today and if it's worth a rewatch. My answer to both these questions is yes. For whatever reason, Greek mythology never really gets old. It's captivated us for centuries and it can be shared with people of all ages. I was in the first grade when this movie came out and I was so impacted and I'm still impacted to this day. The muses are my absolute favorite and this is probably the best Disney soundtrack of all time. Now I've gone into detail about the muses and why they're so iconic, so I won't drain the topic here. But to focus on the actual story, this movie had a number of twists and turns, which makes the storytelling more dynamic. I found it to be a story about redemption, both for Meg and Phil, a story about sacrifice and forgiveness, and a story about how sometimes your end goal isn't truly what's best for you after all. Hades is a formidable villain whose tone, moody nature, and sense of humor are really funny and kind of enduring despite him being the villain um, in the story. Uh, pain and panic add a little bit of comic relief as Hades kind of punching bags. And Meg is a dynamic character and is unlike the other Disney princesses. She's more mature. She's more worldly. Um, and it doesn't get more risque than making a deal with the devil to save a boyfriend that doesn't care about you. <laughs> she has a reputation for being manipulated by men or male figures. And she really didn't think she deserved a good guy like Hercules. But he rescued her. Literally Captain save -a And thus, <laughs> there are a few issues with this movie I'm not going to lie okay having gospel elements in this story kind of doesn't make sense a little bit um Meg's redemption is through a man and not through herself I'm not a big fan of that and I it was a, a little bit of a, a weird change between the titans aggressively attacking Olympus versus when they started retreating that to me didn't make a whole bunch of sense but whatever 
Most Disney princesses follow the same arc of needing to be rescued by a man. So the issue with Meg being rescued is not like a huge deal. But um, I also want to point out that they mentioned the issue of consent in this movie um, and that there are blatant depictions of blackmail and power dynamic manipulations. Um, and also, again, there's also very clear and blatant talk of killing a baby. But all of this went over my six-year-old head. So it's not like a huge deal. It goes back to that question that I keep asking that now that I'm older and I realize that movies like Matilda were wrought with child abuse um the fact that I didn't realize that when I was a child and watching them doesn't matter that these kind of adult topics come up and I'm, I still have not landed on that really but overall Despite those things, those few little things, I love this movie. It's one of my faves from Disney, especially when it comes to music. And you should definitely give it a rewatch when you can. Now, the critics over at Rotten Tomatoes gave Hercules an 82 and the audience gave it 76. The audience score would be shocking to me if it weren't for the fact that I don't expect everyone to understand the style of music and how meaningful it is to see black gospel music and black female human characters in a Disney movie. The movie has received criticism that there are too many unrelated and modern elements in this classic Greek tale. But as a member of the originally intended audience of young children back in 1997, I didn't care then and I don't care now. Okay. Since when do cartoons have to stick to canon? Okay. They don't. And again, that's why I started my own podcast because these people who are on Rotten Tomatoes are not a part of the target audience and they don't know what they're talking about. Okay. Um, <laughs> The critics are a little bit more on point. I personally would rate this movie about a 90%. Okay. There are elements to the story that could be a little bit improved, but overall it's an A in my book. Okay. Well, that is all home slices. Thanks so much for listening to my review of Disney's Hercules. Did you rewatch the movie recently? Does it still hold up for you? Share your thoughts with us on social media, on YouTube, Instagram, and Facebook. We want to hear from you. Join us next week when I review the 1993 to 1998 hit TV show, Living Single. You don't want to miss it. Thanks for listening to Sub Media Reviews. I hope you enjoyed our trip down memory lane just as much as I did. If you have any suggestions for movies or TV shows you'd like me to review next, or if you just want to share your thoughts on today's episode, you can find us on Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, and Pinterest at Sub Media Reviews and on SubMediaReviews.com. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast so you never miss an episode. And if you have a moment, please leave a review on your favorite podcast platform. Your feedback helps me improve the show and spread the word to new listeners. So until next time, peace out, home slices. Home slices.